Platform listeners, Rachel from Clavu here. Clavu has recently helped Puma increase search-led conversion by 53%. We've also just introduced a host of new features as part of the Clavu AI product discovery suite. Get a demo at clavu.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Myself, James, and joined as always by my co-host, Paul. How are you doing today, mate? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. We've got a topic that uh, I'm really interested in today and, and one that I know a bit about, but not enough. And so I'm looking forward to learning more. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. So let's do a bit of scene setting before we introduce our guests. So we're talking about uh, accessibility and usability for websites. Making your website more accessible and usable for visually impaired customers is the core theme. So why are we doing this today? So lack of web uh, accessibility isn't just a problem for disabled people. It's also damaging to e-commerce businesses who want to reach those customers. In the US, big brands have been sued for failing to meet AIDA website standards. A good example is like Beyonce's and Domino's Pizza. Not only does it cost money, but it damages brand reputation. Uh, and equally, poor accessibility can adversely impact SEO. Um, so doing it well can be a competitive advantage. It's not just about, oh, I need to do it for compliance reasons. It's about providing a good user experience and making your site usable. And here's a good did you know stat. There are more than 2 million people in the UK living with visual impairment. And RNIB estimate that um, by 2050, that will go up to around 4.1 million people. That's a huge audience that you could be alienating and losing if you don't take it seriously. And, and wider in the world, it's estimated 15% of the world's population, which is more than 1 billion people, have disabilities. So understanding accessibility is a critical success factor for e-commerce businesses. But it requires technical skills um, because it impacts coding, not just design, and not every business is equipped with these skills. So our episode today is aimed at uh, accelerating your knowledge. And who better to talk to about accessibility and web usability and provide you with you know, practical advice and guidance based on knowledge than the RNIB, the Royal National Institute for Blind People. So delighted today to welcome Laurie de Bon Cognes, who's a user experience evaluator, and Robin Spinks, who's the principal manager of digital accessibility. Good morning, Laurie and Robin. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Great to be here. Good morning. Nice to be here too. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both for taking your time. We're really looking forward to this. So before we start asking you all of our annoying questions, could you just give us a bit of an intro? Tell us about RNIB, uh, what you both do, uh, and how RNIB supports businesses in improving and understanding accessibility and usability. Yeah, well, RNIB is over 150 years old now. We're the largest organisation in the UK representing the interests of blind and partially sighted people. And here's another interesting fact. Every day, 250 people are told that they're losing their sight. So nothing more can be done in terms of drug treatment or therapy or spectacles or contact lenses. And just imagine being told that after you've been at a bunch of busy meetings and you've gone for an ophthalmology appointment and you've been given the news that you're going to be losing your sight. And really at RNIB, one of the critical things we want to do is to enable people in that situation to get the right information, the right advice and the right support to enable them to move forward and to recognise that you can live well, you can thrive as someone with a, a sight loss um, if you've got access to the right support and you know you've got the confidence and the links with other people and you've got the chance to to just you know get the support that you require to enable you to to succeed in life so um we're a big organization we've got lots of services uh some people might have heard of things like our talking book service our bookshare service reading services we've loads of things that that we do to positively impact on life for blind and partially sighted people but a top line what we want to do is to enable blind and partially sighted people to thrive. And part of that 
is working with business to kind of remove barriers, increase understanding, and to enable to develop, I guess, what you would describe as an inclusive culture and relationship with, with people. And um, I am Laurie. I work at the RNIB uh, doing assessments and uh, evaluations of websites, apps, products to make sure that they're accessible and usable, uh, first of all, for blind and partially sighted people, but then also to a range of other uh, people with other disabilities. Um, we're looking at making something not only accessible, but also usable. There's no point in being able to, uh, you know, just have their information, but it, it needs to be easy. It needs to be satisfying as a journey, going on a website and saying, okay, I need to log into my bank account. I need to shop for this. I don't need to spend too much time and effort it needs to be a seamless um, journey through the site so that's what we try to aim to make sure that people with disabilities are able to carry out the same tasks as everybody else on whichever digital platform they want to you know in, in, in you know they need to uh, interact with brilliant um so I'll ask the first question. So can you just give us a bit of an overview on what web accessibility actually is, why it's become so important over the years and why it's relevant to e-commerce teams? I think what we've started to see over the past decade really is a situation where accessibility is has become embedded into so many different products and services and so many different areas of life. If you go back, for example, to when um, the iPhone first appeared, 2007, seems like a long time ago. But, you know, back then, there wasn't accessibility baked into smartphone platforms. It was something that just didn't happen. So in a lot of ways, users were forgotten. And a big change came along in 2009 with the advent of VoiceOver, which was the world's first gesture-based screen reader. But critically, the thing about that was it was baked into the operating system. So if you've got an iPhone 3GS, maybe there are listeners who can remember having those, um, that was the first phone to actually include an integrated screen reader as part of the operating system. And it heralded a big change because from then on, what started to happen um, is that that accessibility became more prominent so more people could see it more people were aware of it blind and partially sighted people started to use those features and, and to, to build confidence and grow their skills and then the android platform uh, a few years later offered talkback which is its equivalent so it's the integrated screen reader inside um, android the android platform there's also a tool for low vision people so there's a tool called zoom which allows you to magnify i use that every single single day. So I triple tap with three fingers on my iPhone or iPad screen and everything that I can see becomes magnified. So even the battery indicator, signal strength, clock, etc., the whole lot. And I can use that across different apps. Um, so that, that big change came about. And I think, you know, whilst this was happening in mobile, it was really driving demand. So people began to become more interested in accessibility. Developers started to become more interested because this wasn't an add-on. This wasn't a download. This was something that was baked in and integrated into the fabric of the operating system. And, and I think that's what really has begun to change the way that people think about it. Now, you know, fast forward to 2021, any mobile OS that you happen to use has baked in accessibility for low vision users, for, for screen reader users as well. Um, and people expect it. People expect there to be 
accessibility in the platform. But more importantly than that, content creators are becoming interested because if that's part of the OS, then if you build an app or a digital service, it really has to support that screen reader or that magnification experience. Um, so it's about changing people's expectations, building in the technology, building in the plumbing for developers, and enabling everybody to be able to access services. Imagine, imagine going to a physical shop and not being able to get in like other people can. And really, it's the same thing in the digital world. If you've got a digital service and people with disabilities can't use it, it's exactly the same thing happening in the modern world. Right. And then um, to give people more context, how do people with visual impairments experience an econ site? How does it feel and sound? Uh, so Robin has already picked up on some of the things that, um, you know, are already baked in uh, uh, the mobile devices. The same thing happens on a desktop. So you have a screen reader for a blind user. So somebody who hasn't got useful residual vision to interact with uh, the text, the visuals on the site, they will be using a screen reader, which is a software package. Sometimes it's an add-on, so you have to buy the program. Sometimes it's a free to download. Sometimes it's built in in the platform, you know, Windows and Mac, um, you know, uh, do have built-in screen readers themselves. And it will read the page. So it will read it from, it's a sequential experience. You read everything. While a sighted person looks at the screen and says, oh, there's a heading there, there's a button there, I know where to go menu. Uh, a screen reader will have to read from the top left-hand side corner to the bottom. There are um, shortcuts to make you move around more quickly, and that's where actually people and developers need to think about what they build in, what they code into the page to make that experience quicker. Otherwise, a user will have to just basically go through line to line to understand what's on the page. Now, I have a little snap snippet to give you an idea of what's happening, um, I've got an audio, a short audio file of uh, a screen reader going through the RIB shop website. So I'm just tabbing, just to give you an idea at the beginning, there, there's sort of several ways of navigating a page. You arrow down or you tab and you reach all the interactive elements. And then you can, for example, use an H for heading on most screen readers and jump from heading to heading. So this is what I'm doing. I'm tabbing a little bit of arrowing and Heading. So let me go. An online shop Mozilla Firefox. An online shop document. Link times. Banner landmark skip to content link skip to content. List with two items donate to an ab link. An ab website visited link. An ab shop home visited link. Search edit required invalid entry blank. Search button. Clickable sign in link. Clickable basket basket zero pounds collapsed link. Navigation landmark clickable list with eight items braille and labeling collapsed link. Clickable house collapsed link. Clickable leisure collapsed link. Welcome to an shop heading level one. If you're blind or partially sighted, you've come to the right place for products that help you. Live independently and enjoy everyday activities. Not sure where to start. Why not have a look at our link bestsellers, our link special offers or our link new. Update your account heading level two. Out for a walk heading level two. Clickable front-facing Victor Reader Trek Talking Book Player Graphic 545 pounds height 278 Victor Reader Trek Talking Book Player and GPS Heading Level 3 Shop Now Link Height 278 Victor Reader Trek Talking Book Player and GPS Heading Level 3 Link MP1210L Ramble Tag V2 Orange Guide on your left Heading Level 3 Link MP122 Ambutech Ferros Cane Light Heading Level 3 Link 
MS44 AmbuTech Telescopic Symbol Cane Heading Level 3 Visited Link. Great. Um, um, we'll come on to kind of optimizing uh, for that and some of the considerations for kind of developers and um, e-com teams uh, further on or later on. Um, so another another like big topic around accessibility and something that a lot of our listeners will have heard about or experienced is the lawsuits around ADA. Um, what's the risk of, I guess, like how... What's your view on this and kind of do you have any advice for people in this that have kind of gone through this? Um, and then also, what's the risk for people or retailers in Europe and how is this going to change over the coming years? So currently in the UK, the legislation, which would be the Equality Act 2010, you know, that does place an obligation on service providers to make what's called a reasonable adjustment and actually to make sure that they are not... Uh, aware of barriers for disabled people. So the law protects people in the sense that there is a, an expectation on service providers to make a reasonable adjustment and that extends to digital. However, it has to be said, you know, there hasn't been a great uh, track record of cases coming through in the UK that actually pick out web accessibility and digital accessibility. However, that's likely to happen as more and more people are engaging with digital, more people are using accessibility features on devices. Um, the, the probability of that is, is increasing. And I think, you know, that's against a backdrop of what we're seeing around the world, most notably in North America um, and in Australia and places like that, where we've seen quite high profile examples of websites that haven't delivered accessibility and you know individuals have quite rightly taken cases to to make sure that their their needs are represented and that you know it's an injustice if a digital service doesn't allow you in if you're a screen reader user or you're a magnification user you know why should you why should you be discriminated against because you can't see well um, and you you just want to want to get on and, and do business in the same way that everyone else does with a particular site so we'll see um, that that legislation strengthened. There's European legislation which um, is coming on stream, Accessibility Act, which will actually enable um, will enable that to be to be tightened in terms of the expectation. What the expectation is around standards, um, the expectation around businesses in terms of compliance. So you know this is not going to go away for businesses here in the UK, but elsewhere in the world. I think we're now in a climate where consumers are much more aware of accessibility. People are learning how to use accessibility features by the day. Um, and a growing chunk of your customer base are currently using accessibility features. And, and what we'll see, you know, for example, we talk about by the year 2050, the number of blind and partially sighted people in the UK will have doubled to more than 4 million. So, the, the population is growing. The number of people using features is growing. People are living longer with disabilities. So, you know, politically and from a, an economic and commercial perspective, this is a growing uh, area of interest. It's a growing concern for businesses. No business wants to be singled out and, you know, prosecuted or named and shamed for, for not having an accessible service. And the other thing I would throw in there is that, you know, people, disabled people, like everyone else, uh, are using social media much, much more. So people are now, I think I mentioned earlier, people have got this expectation of accessibility built into the OS. 
I think increasingly people also expect digital services to be accessible. So, you know, if you're a business and you're not accessible, you don't want to see tweets from someone saying, I can't get in. I'm at the door of the shop knocking and I can't get in. You know, that that clearly wouldn't be a satisfactory position for, for any business to be in. So it's absolutely in everyone's interests to invest, to get this right. And, you know, if you make some simple considerations at the outset when you're designing a service, when you first decide that you want to create it, you, you actually have to put in, you know, pretty much no, no extra effort if you're doing that at the beginning. You just build it in and you let the development happen in a way that, that respects the accessibility features and enables them to work. And, um, you know, but taking that kind of approach, you just use head off all sorts of problems. So it's a great time to be focusing on what is a really important and a growing uh, issue for, for every business. I think this is a really important point is it's not just about being compliant. It's actually about looking after your customers and thinking about customer experience. And I think trying to get e-commerce teams to understand it's not just a compliance issue is really important. So in in the context of that, what would be really interesting to talk about now is the, the WCAG accessibility guidelines, there are three levels, A, AA, AAA. And my experience of working in e-commerce um, uh, companies and especially on big re-platforms and launches is people struggle to understand what they should be um, going for. Like what, what is the minimum requirement uh, and actually what are the benefits of moving up from A to say double A? So what would be useful is, could you just talk us through the levels and how they differ uh, and what, what is the core compliance um, requirement for a, an e-commerce business? So there are three levels of compliance. So the guidelines are an international standard and there's level A, level double A and level triple A. Now, the bare minimum is level A. So that would, you know, satisfy the basic requirements of a website. The recommended level is double A. So that's the one that, for example, RNIB audits at and the most reputable companies that do audits will audit at a level, uh, a double A. This has been uh, revised in the last couple of years. Uh, it's called 2.1. And that is to take into a consideration uh, that our experience these days is not only on desktop, but also on mobile. So things... Uh, have been included about, for example, orientation. If you can change the orientation of your website, well, website obviously, but your app that will help people who have uh, dexterity issues and maybe have their phone mounted all the time. So, you know, if you can't change the orientation, then you'd have to, you know, move your head if you can or whatever, other other solutions. So things like that, looking at reflow uh, does the app allow you to increase the size of the text and so on have been taken into consideration. So the level AAA is the one obviously most difficult to um, acquire or to obtain. And usually it's something that you need to have a look if you contain a lot of multimedia in your site. So if you've got a lot of videos, they will look at more uh, captioning, uh, audio description. This is also contained in, in the AA but it's far more uh, sophisticated in the AAA. And there's a a series, basically, of guidelines. There's 78 uh, guidelines in total, checkpoints in total, and to obtain A or AA, you need to uh, accomplish 50. Obviously, it's a given that uh, when you have level AA, you have to pass the level A compliance as well. And so it's sort of uh, given as a granted that most uh, common mistakes, uh, you know, will, that we see on the web that make it inaccessible will be picked up in an audit with the AA uh, level of, um, you know, compliance. And this will mean that, you know, 
we ensure the digital environment is accessible by most common assistive technologies. So whether you're using a screen reader, a switch device or speech recognition software, you should be able to access the same information that, that people without disabilities can on that website. So it's minimum A, aim for double A when possible, but start off with trying to fit in, you know, the, the, the single A compliance first. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And I think it's nice to point out to people that, that you can, you know, you can over the time extend and move up to double A and uh, aspire yeah. towards triple A as well. Uh, so you mentioned about common mistakes. So what would be great to hear now is what are the most common mistakes you see with accessibility on, on websites and specifically e-commerce stores and, yeah. and I, things that you think are more important for somebody who has a visual impairment? Yes, I think we could start with do a, a starter for 10 things that you can look at and uh, will make a difference uh, straight away to your website. So one of the things that uh, a blind person with a screen reader or a person who cannot use the mouse and has to use a keyboard or a switch will have to do is tab through the page. That will mean that they will go through the interactive elements on the page. Now, if your you know, uh, sign-in button or your register button on your site to create an account is can't be tabbed to, then that's it. A person with a disability will not be able to use it to register. So first of all is tabbing. And that's quite something quite easy that everybody can do. Just use the tab key, go through the page and see that every link, every button on the page is in the tab order. The next other thing that we see often is headings, lack of headings. So visually, when you go to a site, you, you see the nice big heading at the top. You say, OK, that's the content of the page. Now, the same thing needs to be provided in speech because one of the most common uh, correct sort of um, navigation, navigation methods that a blind person with a screen reader uses is jump to the heading because they can get quickly to the content on the page. There's a shortcut that the screen reader allows them to jump to the heading one on the page and they say, OK, I know what I'm you know, what the content on the page is, and then they can say, no, this is not what I wanted to go back before they start investigating the whole page and waste time. Part of that is also having heading structure. Visually, a page is divided in sections. Uh, you know, we need to create the same structure in speech. If you're listening to a site, you don't know what go what content goes with what, and providing that structure is, use is a way of providing that structure is using good headings. You know, so make sure that they're not there only visually, but they're coded as headings and with good heading levels. So those are two biggies. Um, then looking at, you know, for example, um, a lot of people who have sight loss will have some residual vision and will use it. You know, they might use speech with their vision. And there are people like Robin and myself who are partially sighted who use a magnification um, software. So we will want things to stand out on the page to be legible. Even when we use the magnification program, we find things that are like font, you know, very, the weight of the font is very thin and uh, the color contrast is not good. And there are tools, easy tools down there that you can, free to download that you can check the color contrast. So there's minimum requirements that tell you what the ratio between the text and the background should be. That's another good one. So please pass the minimum color contrast ratio stipulated by WCAG. And that will help everybody, you know, dyslexic and partially sighted who are using, you know, the, the, the page. And, for example, things that are uh, happen unexpectedly are one of the big issues on the page. So if something, if a filtering happens automatically, you need to tell people that it's there, that something is happening, providing, you know, heading with search results, for example, or you're filtering your products, make it aware to a screen reader that that is happening. So I think looking at tabbing, headings, logical heading structure, 
color contrast, your font, you know, a clear font um, that will help, you know, with is not too fussy. I call it fussy or, you know, uh, ornate. Uh, will help both partially sighted and dyslexic people because we read by shape often. And so if we lose the shape of the word by using a lot of uh, uppercase letters or italics, then it, you make, you're making it far more of a struggle for us to look at the wording on the page. And then unexpected content. Look at how you can make it clear what's happening on the page. Great. Um, another big question. I know some of our clients have used some of these technologies, particularly when they've had uh, issues with ADA lawsuits as like a bit of a short term solution. But so there's a lot of third parties that exist to support with accessibility. So Accessibility being a good example where they've got kind of their overlay and they have a lot of functionality to support some of the key areas of accessibility. Um, do you have any insights into how effective these tools are and whether there are any gaps that e-commerce teams need to be aware of? And do you generally recommend uh, going down the third-party route? So, yeah, if I pick that one up, I think what I would say first up is that this is all about design. So this is about getting design of information right in the first place. And if you do that, you are unlikely to need a third-party service running on top of it. If you're structuring the information in the way that Laurie has just described really well, um, that that won't happen. So you'll you'll create the support that someone who has a screen reader requires. You'll create the reading experience that a low vision user, user requires without the need to be running something else um, on top. And I think you know anyone in the industry who creates a tool that enables people to you know get access and to gain content that's fantastic it's a great thing to be doing but we're ultimately talking here about design we're talking about good um, hygiene practices when it comes to your information and when it comes to structuring content on the web and in apps and digital services if you design it properly and structure it properly and make sure that the kind of considerations that Laurie's just mentioned are present in all of your services, then the type of tools that blind and partially sighted people would expect to use will work and they'll be able to have a good experience and get on and use your service. And if I can add to that, it's it's basically putting a plaster. So we wouldn't recommend a third party like that. Often, um, it doesn't actually increase accessibility. And it, you know, there's a lot of talk on the web, you know, from users that saying that actually it increases some of the issues they've had with dealing with the site, and sort of raising also um, concerns on security and how these um, tools work. Great. Um, and a big challenge that I've seen, so you talk about, I mean, obviously in an ideal world, you wouldn't need the third party and, you know, your theme would be built perfectly. All of the third parties would be optimized perfectly and your kind of teams would be, you'd have like a layer of governance around accessibility um, across all the different teams that um, could impact it. Um, but I would say one of the big challenges I've personally seen, so when we've launched a site that's kind of uh, compliant and has been really well optimized from an accessibility perspective, um, but then a year down the line um, it's that whole piece of um, the various different stakeholders um, haven't really kept up with uh, you know um, 
things like adding the labels, you know, the naming conventions, uh, things like links aren't labeled, etc. It's more that piece. Um, and also kind of new third parties being added, which are very JavaScript heavy, um, that aren't um, optimized. Um, do you have any advice for building that governance? And in your experience, do people um, get the best results from assigning like an internal owner? Um, or do you think it's just a case of educating wider teams? It's a bit of everything, isn't it? I mean, first up, this is about education and awareness, and it's about people being an owner. So, you know, if you're building digital services, one of the things you should do is have somebody who's championing accessibility and actually running sessions regularly for others and getting other people to recognise that this is a core issue for business. It's alongside security and privacy which people take extremely seriously, quite rightly. Accessibility sits alongside those. And often, you know, one of the reasons why people maybe don't necessarily get it is that they've never met a user. They've never met someone who's actually using the service with assistive technology. So one of the things we can do to help is we deliver tailor-made courses for businesses of all sizes where we can actually do um, a training session with across, you know, across uh, organizational team, if you like, who have responsibility for creating and managing information digitally. And I think it's when you get that training beginning to um, take hold in an organization, you get leadership involved. This is critical. Have a leadership level person who's championing accessibility and asking other people to do it and make it fun. Make it something that people can say, look, I've come up with a really good thing that will help accessibility users. Make it part of your organizational culture. That's where we see it working well is when people have taken it seriously at a leadership level. They've actually mentioned it, for example, in job specs. When you get a job spec, it mentions accessibility and inclusion. And it's about the centrality of accessibility as a business consideration that's ultimately what this is all about is making it more prominent as a business consideration alongside security and compliance and privacy and all of those issues that no one would ever question and you know what we're what we're seeing as i mentioned earlier is this really big growth in accessibility users and this availability of good quality tools built into the platform so when you're designing information and services we need to be embracing that and thinking about it and i think you know the kind of things you mentioned where um someone leaves and then you know the standards drop that's a good opportunity to then pick up the pace and say right what we need to do is we need to have a training event across the organization and we need to make this a bigger part of people's work also when we're procuring new services and we're buying things to run on a service we need to be asking the question, tell me how this works for users with disabilities. Please don't ask the question, is this accessible? Because that's a leading question and everyone will give you the answer that they think you're looking for. Ask the question, tell me how this works for people with disabilities. Um, ask that of your suppliers and people who are you know, bidding to build services for you because that's where we'll be able to separate out whether people have really understood this and taken on board the consideration or whether they're seeing it purely as a tick box exercise. It's about good education and understanding and awareness and just embedding good practices into your workflow. 
And adding on on that, for example, uh, with the businesses I come into contact when we do training and show them why we're doing things, not just how you make it accessible, but what the reason is, uh, they talk about uh, uh, creating library of accessible components so that if somebody comes into the team new, knows exactly how to build in because it's already sort of written there. This is how you build an accessible button with the label and so on, you know. And so it's easier to build up accessibility if there's a, a big turnaround of people in your development team. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think um, in my experience, it's been easier with bigger companies and also I've worked with a few like cultural uh, organizations and public businesses um, and it's a lot I think it's a lot more prominent there and I think leading on from that um, in terms of kind of quantifying this and obviously like you shouldn't need to do this but I think um, particularly certain businesses you know uh, they're going to have issues with resource time everything else um, is there a way is there an obvious way to quantify the level of users that a business has on their website that have these impairments? Um, is there a way of tracking how many people are, um, or a way that you're aware of, um, of how many people are using screen readers, etc.? So there isn't a way to track uh, if you are using a screen reader on the website uh, or, uh, you know, if you're using it on a mobile. And it, there is also a, a danger there because you're tracking a, character, a protected characteristics according to the Quality Act, so on what you're doing with that kind of information. And uh, seeing uh, information online, discussion boards online, there's quite a debate from people who use screen readers whether they would be happy for that to happen as well. So um, if you look at the WebAIM survey, there's been questions about this. If knowing if you're using a screen reader helps the accessibility of the website and would you want it to happen? Um, I think there are also, there's a danger of catering for screen readers and not for other disabilities that might be hidden disabilities and you don't know, you know, how they're accessing, you know, the website. So, uh, so that, that also is, you know, you're going down the path of recognizing one disability, but what about the others uh, and taking into consideration all disabilities? And I think a really good thing for any business to do is to actually ask customers, how do you find the accessibility of our service? That's a brave and bold question to ask, but it's one of the questions that will lead you to, you know, a positive place because people will come and give you feedback. And if you're, if you're asking for feedback, people will feel more inclined to actually contribute it and suggest it. And that's a, that's a power that I think shouldn't be underestimated is harnessing the potential of the community to give you feedback about your service and to point you in the direction of how it can be improved. Of course, people will tell you negative things that you don't want to hear, but ultimately you should be interested in learning where the pain points, where the pinch points are, rather than just hearing the good stuff. So I think it's about seeking honest feedback from users and and that's the way that people learn. You know, no one no one does this perfectly. Everyone learns and refines things as they move forward. And I think user feedback combined with the kind of expert evaluation that organizations like RNIB offer and the training that we offer, the combination of those things actually can enable any business to move forward on accessibility and inclusion issues across the board. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It, it's it's the same with ratings and reviews that people use all the time. If if you don't hear the the moans and the groans, you can't do anything about them. It doesn't mean they don't exist. So you've, you've got to take the good and the bad and realise that no site's perfect. I think that's a really important point for people to take away. And actually what I've found, I mean, I, I worked a few years back with a charity 
who's delivered a lot of services into into people, uh, blind people and people with visual impairment and other disabilities. And I've found as an audience, they are incredibly proactive in giving feedback when given the opportunity, more so than people who aren't um, faced you know, with disabilities and challenges. I don't know whether you find that true, but I found it a very responsive audience if you give them a forum to, to share back. Absolutely. And imagine for a moment, some of what we've talked about today, some of it is invisible. So you wouldn't actually see it. You know, if you compare for a moment the issue, and I'm not saying that this is a similar issue, but in principle it is, compare the issue of physical access to buildings. Now, if we walk up to a city centre anywhere in the UK, we can look straight away and any of us would be able to tell whether or not it's likely that someone with a buggy or a pushchair or a wheelchair, for example, would find it difficult to get in and out of that shop. That's something we could all do on this call. We could take a look and we could spot that might be an obstacle. Might not be an expert in it, but we could see it. If you think about the issues we've spoken about today in terms of screen reader access, largely those are invisible unless you've got some understanding or awareness. So I think you know that that's one of the reasons why I think the community are really keen to contribute when given the opportunity to do so. And I would argue we should be encouraging people, you know, we should be saying on Twitter, tell us how we can make our service more accessible. That's all good feedback, even if it contains negative experiences along the way. It leads us to a place where we're more responsive, we're more receptive to, to, to comments, and also we're, we're much more keen to take on board, you know, bold moves to make service better. It's, it's advancement, really, in its broadest sense. You know, it's about making the business and its offer advance as time goes on. Yeah, completely agree. I've got one final question for you, uh, and we've kind of touched on it uh, in various stages, but could you do a summary of what the key services that RNIB provides to, to e-commerce organisations, whether that's around auditing or advice and training? And then if there are any specific tools that you recommend people should be using and looking at to help themselves increase their own knowledge of how their site performs? So RNIB provides a broad range of services for businesses. Um, we are able to do audits and consultancy and training um, and really, one of the key things that we're able to do is to create a package that works for your business. If you want something that's run in the evening or run online or run in installments, for example, we can create a training package that works for your business. Likewise, for consultancy, for user testing, we can make that run on your terms and in a way that dovetails with the project that you um, are working on. And it's worth mentioning, you know, we we work with clients who represent an incredibly diverse range of different industries from small retailers to design studios to creative agencies, right through to washing machine manufacturers, smart television um, designers. You know, the, the, the parameters are, are endless, really. So we've got a vast experience in working on inclusive design um, and really trying to help people to embed good practice and get it right. And also to learn from their mistakes and, and refine their processes as they move forward. So a huge range of training courses and, and consultancy options. And, and we'd be delighted to talk to, to any business that would like to get in touch. Uh, from the point of view of the digital, I'd like to stress that 
audit, yes, we do audits, but we do also expert assessment, which means it's going through uh, doing realistic user journeys. Uh, so if you're on a shopping site, you know, you say, okay, find a product and put it in the basket and go and purchase it and see what are the crucial, cr crucial critical points on the journey by using a screen reader, magnification, uh, simulated switch access and so on, so that we can simulate what a user would actually do on a site or on an app. Um, one of the things you mentioned there was um, tools. So there are some automated tools out there. Um, one thing is to be careful that a, an automated tool will pick up some things, but it won't pick up everything. And you will always need a manual check. So somebody that goes through with a screen reader. So that's what we do when we do our WICO audits. We, we do the automated to see some, you know, have a, a little bit of an idea of the site, but then go through with the screen reader and the tab keys and so on. Some of these are free. So, you know, um, one we can mention is Wave. So it highlights things like, you know, are there, is the heading structured there? Uh, is the alt text for images there, which I've forgotten to mention, but alt text for images is an important one. Uh, so it describes the images that a blind user can't see for the screen reader, will announce them. Um, so things like that will come up. It will tell you if the alt text is missing, but it won't tell you if the alt text is a description of that image is actually a correct description and it's suitable. Uh, what is the purpose of that image? Is that a decorative image? Then it that can be disregarded and so on. So WAVE is a tool that we could use. AXE or AXE as another one, obviously looking at the code a bit more sort of for developers. Um, there are things like color contrast analyzers, various ones. Uh, the Pacello group does a color, color, color contrast analyzer, which basically is very easy. You pick, you know, the text and the background and you check and it tells you if it passes or doesn't pass uh, the Wicca color contrast um, ratio. So there are tools out there that can help. And these are some of the free ones that you can, you know, give a go. And one of the things I would suggest, like I said before, tab through your page. Um, you know, if you look at the five uh, things that we mentioned before, those are things that anybody can do. You know, check your headings, uh, tab through, check your color contrast. And then uh, if you want, look at Wave and look at what comes up, you know, um, especially if you've got forms, uh, the label of the form uh, working with the field and so on uh, is also useful to find out. Fantastic. That's really useful advice. Thank you very much. And, and practical things that people can do themselves versus being able to come to specialists like yourselves for, for like fuller audits and support. Um, so that's covered all the key questions you want to get. I think it's been a really, really interesting, useful episode for all of our listeners. So uh, Robin and Laurie, thanks so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, yeah. And for sharing your knowledge, I've learned lots of new stuff, which is brilliant. And it helps me to think a bit more in terms of like accessibility uh, around new new site planning. Uh, and thanks, everyone, as always, for listening. We always appreciate you come back and listen to the podcast. Keep your ears open for the next podcast in this month's compliance and accessibility series. So next up, we're speaking to Adyen on the latest PSD2 updates for payment compliance. Then we're moving on to GDPR and web security. So real practical insights this month. Uh, everybody take care and have a good day.